And big thanks really to each of you who chose to invest in one of our short-term trips this summer. It really is true. It takes the full body of Christ, those who say, I'll go, and those who say, I'll send, to see the work of God continue. And, and I hope that you heard, Wendy, very clearly, we are entering into a new partnership specifically targeting some unreached people groups in India. And so if you'd like to learn more about that, go out to that Impact Gazebo this morning and find out more how you can participate in the gospel and the church increasing into that area of India. I want to, before we look at the scriptures this morning, give thanks to God for our fifth grandchild being born this week. Uh, we don't, yeah. Uh, our second son, Will, and his wife, Danielle, now have three girls under the age of three. So that's absolute madness for them in the years ahead, but super excited. And I say that genuinely, I do not take for granted the gift of children and the gift of a healthy birth. So thankful to the Lord for that. So from start to finish in our service this morning, our focus is elevating Jesus in our world and capture it in context that for the last six weeks in the gospel of Mark, we've been talking about elevating Jesus in this city. But I want us to answer a question this morning that I think is pretty important that some of you may know the answer to, but others you may go, well, I, I kind of, but I'm not really sure. And here's the question. Why does CFC care about the world? That's an important question because reality is, are the needs great around us in this community alone? Absolutely. You don't have to go far in Jacksonville to see relational needs and spiritual needs in this community. Many of us look at the spiritual state of our nation and we go, oh, we have some serious concerns in the trajectory of where we're headed as a nation spiritually. So given the fact that God has placed us in Jacksonville and there are needs around us and in America and there are needs around us, why in the world do we care about folks on the other side of the globe. Why is it that every year, literally from this church, hundreds of thousands of dollars are given to support people who don't work in this community? Why do we have 24 commended missionaries we encourage you to support who have gone out from here? Why do we celebrate from when someone serves on this staff and they actually step off staff to engage in global impact? Why do we care about the world? Because the answer to that question makes a dramatic difference in terms of how we function as a church and individually, if we try to answer that question, why should I care about the world? The answer to that question will make a dramatic difference in terms of how you order your life and what you give yourself to in whatever amount of years the Lord gives you. So this is, not a, th this is a, a major question. Why do CFC and why do we as Christ followers care about people that will probably never meet, that will never walk through these doors? Why? And the answer comes from a place that you'll all probably recognize. We care about the world because this, 
And I want you to read this with me. But read it not as in something you've heard a thousand times. Read it in answer. Why do we care about the world? Read this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is no doubt the most popular verse in all the world. But it informs what we care about beyond ourselves. It informs how we function as a church. And I simply want us to know this morning, if you're kind of on the fringe, you're visiting CFC, why we care about the world, because we do. And this text gives us four fundamental, core, compelling truths that order our lives. First, we care about the world because God who abides in us loves the world. And don't misunderstand the significance. God who abides in us. It's not just we love the world, we care about the world because God loves the world. We care about it because God who abides in us loves the world. That's critical because when it, when it comes down to what makes us Christian, it's this, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Who's where? In you, whom you have from God and you're not your own. Now, I asked first hour and there seemed to be Paul's. I don't know if they thought I was setting them up or, or what, but does the Spirit of God live in every single person on the planet? Yes or no? No. No, every person on the planet has been created by God, but the Spirit of God only dwells in the person who has admitted they are under the condemnation of sin, but believe that Jesus has paid the penalty for that sin and received that as a free gift. When faith, because that's the expression of faith, admitting, believing, and then receiving, when faith is applied, then the Spirit of God comes and indwells your humanity. Jesus wrapped in your humanity. That's ultimately what makes you a Christian. It's not how you become a Christian, but what makes you a Christian is that Christ lives in you. And if he lives in you, then it only follows that the one who is in you would determine what you love and what you hate and what you give yourself to. I will, I will often see one of my daughters do something that reminds me exactly of my wife, Jackie, and I'll go, wow, you are your mama's daughter in that moment. And all I'm simply saying is this. When people see Christian Family Chapel, they ought to go, wow, you really are children of the Heavenly Father. See, we see him, we see what you love, and that's what he loves. The God who abides in us loves the world. Because he lives in us, what's the scripture tell us about us? We do not, we don't belong to ourselves. It struck me that, that at the core of the pro-choice versus pro-life, the pro-choice movement is what assumption? It's a woman's right because it's a woman's body. It's her right to choose. 
But as Christ followers, we disagree with not only the conclusion, we disagree with the assumption. We disagree with the assumption that, that it's my body and therefore I should do, I can do what I want with it. No, no, no. When Christ lives in me, he lives in me as owner. And therefore, I'm not my own. My agenda now actually is formed by him. And so his agenda becomes my agenda. And his agenda is, is very simple. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. That's the one who owns me. That's what he wants. He wants me to be a part of disciple making in all the nations. You know, this, is, this was the final thing that Jesus said to his disciples. And final things matter. Is reading your Bible important? Yes or no? Jesus did not say, hey, I'm about to leave. Read your Bible. <laughs> say your prayers and brush your teeth. <laughs> you know, we say stuff like that to our kids. When you're about to leave the door, you say the one final thing. <laughs> Jesus, I'm about to go. Go make disciples of all the nations. I'm not against reading your Bible, saying your prayers, or brushing your teeth. It's just not first. Those are means to an end. In the end, that which the owner says to those whom he indwells, I want the nations. Go and make disciples. So, why do we care about the world? Because what? God who abides in us loves the world. You got it? There's more. We care about the world, second, because God gave his son to redeem the world. Simply going through the, word, the verse. For God so loved the world, so the God who abides in us loves the world, that he gave his only begotten son. We care because God gave his son to redeem the world. What's it mean to redeem the world? Well, God created us to be in relationship with him. Sin has broken that relationship with him. And Christ was sent to pay the penalty so that relationship could be restored. That's redemption. So, would you agree with me? You got to listen carefully. Would you agree with me that the greatest thing that's ever happened in human history is that God took on human flesh so that God in human flesh could take the condemnation that we deserved upon himself so that we could be restored. The incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection. That's the greatest thing that's ever happened on this planet. Yes or no? And by a wide margin? Yeah. There's, there's no hesitation in my thinking, and I hope in yours this morning, that of all the great things and good things that has happened on this planet, nothing compares to God taking on human flesh and God paying the penalty through the sending of his son to redeem the world. So if it's the greatest thing that's ever happened in human history, the prophet Isaiah says, it's too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. It's too small a thing. In other words, if you only redeem who? Israel. 
That's too small. Why is it too small? Because it's the greatest thing that's ever happened in human history. It needs to go to everyone. So the prophet, it's too small to Israel only. I will also make you a light of the nation so that my salvation may reach, read it with me, to the end of the earth. Anything less would be what? Too small. Un piquito, if we want (laughs) to. Is that even right? I don't even know. Is that close to right? Let's stay with too small. (laughs) It'd be too small. Anything less. Too small. Why? Because Christ was sent to redeem the world. Shy Revelation says, of Jesus, worthy you to take the book and to break its seals for this reason, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Anything in us is too small. Why do we care about the world? It's God who abides in us, loves the world. And God sent his son to redeem Men from every tongue, every tribe, every people, every nation. Anything less? Too small. Third, we care about the world because the invitation of the gospel is to whoever. This is the personal extension of too small. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes the invitation of the gospel is to whoever. So how could we not care about the world if the invitation is to whoever? When The Apostle Paul writes to Romans, he says, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. Now, when he says Greek, you understand what he's saying here? He's simply saying there's no distinction between Jew and everybody else. Because, and this is not egotistic, I don't mean it this way, but Jewish people tend to see themselves, there's the Jewish people and then there is everybody else. There's the the chosen people of God, and then there's everybody else. So in that world, at that time, there's the Jew and the Greek. There's the Jews and everybody else. But he's going, there's no distinction. Why? For the same Lord is Lord of all, Jewish and everyone else. Abounding in riches for all, Jewish and everyone else, who call upon him for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yeah, which is why, here's how Paul opens this letter. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not, I used to think, oh, see what Paul's saying, I'm not scared, I'm not scared. Actually, I don't think he's talking about, I'm not scared. When he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I think he's going, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's an invitation to whoever. Give you an example. Rarely do Jackie and I ever have someone over for dinner that we don't have a disagreement. 
about how much we need to prepare. If we have eight people for dinner, we need to prepare food for how many people? Yeah, see, a bunch of women in the room. If you're having eight people for dinner, how much food do you need to prepare for how many people? Come on, men, say it with me. Eight. Thank you very, very much. But no, a woman answers that question. How many people do we need to prepare for? Well, how many are coming? Eight. Oh, we got to prepare four? No, not enough. It's always double. I'm serious. No matter, it's always double. Proof? Yesterday, eight guys for breakfast at our house. And Jackie made a whole bunch of stuff. And by the end of it, these guys were like gorged. And we had half of our egg casserole left. We had half of the whole tray of cinnamon, homemade cinnamon buns left. Half of the, a little more than half of the banana bread left. And half of a pot of cheese grits left. Perfect. (laughs) No, look at all the stuff we got left. Yeah, I don't buy that junk either. We want them for leftovers. You know who eat the leftovers in my house? No, no. I'm too cheap to give them to the dog. You were one letter off. Doug. Jackie's like, I'm tired of this. And I'm like, yeah, but we made it. We bought it. And, you know, be October and I'll be eating the cheese. Because what's the worst thing that could happen to a hostess when you invite eight people to dinner? We can't run out. She would be so ashamed. And when the Lord put those those two realities together, I thought, oh, now I think I actually have a better idea. Paul was saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it will never be a case where I will invite someone to believe, and God would go, no, no, not them. <laughs> I'm, ne- I'm never going to be ashamed to share because the invitation is to whoever. Isn't that awesome? I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't even know about the theology of this statement, but the gospel leftovers... There's, we sing the song, your grace is more than enough. And think about it as grace in our life as believers. I, I just want to see that that which was so compelling to the apostle Paul was wherever I go on the planet, whoever I get the privilege to speak to, <laughs> I'm not going to be ashamed because the gospel is an invitation to whoever in Peru, whether they're in prison or in the marketplace, in the Philippines, whether they're in the elementary school or in a remote village. The invitation is to whoever. In fact, listen to this testimony. Hi, my name is Anna Lebo, and I went on the missions trip to the Philippines with the Bob Tebow Evangelistic Association. God used this missions trip to open my eyes to the urgency of missions. There are millions of people around the world waiting to hear the gospel, and we, the body of Christ, need to be the ones to share it with them. Only God can save the lost, but we have a responsibility to be his ambassadors. 
One day, while I was in the Philippines, I had the amazing opportunity to travel to a small village in the mountains and share the good news. My translator and I even had to hike a little to get to the village. I preached the gospel at the village school to an assembly of 200 kids, plus teachers and parents. I will never forget the look on their faces when I told them how much Jesus loved them and that he was willing to die for them. I could see that the Holy Spirit was working in each of their hearts. Over 90% of those beautiful children indicated that they accepted Christ that day. I finally started to understand the reality that this world is not permanent, but the souls of people are eternal. And there are thousands of more people in villages just like the one I went to that need to hear the good news of Christ. And that completely changed my view of missions. I thank the Father that He has chosen us to be a part of His plan to spread the gospel. And thank you for your prayers and financial support. Yeah. Did you hear, I want you to focus on one line that Anna said there. What I realized was this world is not permanent, but the souls of people are, did you hear it? Eternal. It puts, it puts life into perspective. Why do we care about this world? Well, because when we think the world, we don't think the trees or the whales or the turtles. We think the souls of people because the whales and the trees and the turtles aren't permanent. But the souls of those in Albania and India and the Philippines and Peru are. And perishing and eternal life are more than concepts. They are realities. Now, to be clear, where have I taken perishing and eternal life from? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, let me just state the obvious, but sometimes we, we don't want to look at things because... If we really look at them, it's going to hurt. You ever not looked at something because you're like, oh, I just, I can't look because you know what it will do? Maybe just on a, you know, I, I could never be a doctor. My, my daughter got a slice across her arm Easter Sunday, one after, late afternoon, and it was just split wide open just flayed wide open. We took her to Baptist South and, and they had to put like 25 stitches on the inside before they then did on the outside. And I looked straight into her eyes the entire time. <laughs> Meaning what? My wife's like, ooh, look at it. She's watching the gap. She said, Doug, you should see this. No, I should not. 
there will be two patients in the room if I look at that. There's, there are certain things that if I look at, it'll do something to me. And sometimes I think we're afraid to look at perishing because of what it does to us. When we think about our mom and dad or our brother or sister who hasn't believed because the scripture says whoever believes shall not perish. But that means if they don't believe, they will perish. And that thought will just turn the stomach if we, if we are willing to look at the reality. And so we try to make it conceptual and vague, and I, I just don't want to think about it. But the reality is there are moms and dads, grandpas and grandmas, brothers and sisters all around the globe who have grown up in completely different cultures than you and I have grown up, who have not had Jesus and even the Bible as anywhere near to their culture growing up. And we don't want to look at the reality that the simple message of the Scripture is that if you don't believe, you do, you do really perish. Real people really do perish. This is why Revelation ends with the two realities. Revelation 20 finishes, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's not a concept. That's just not an imagery. The lake of fire, hell, real places where real people with eternal souls who do not believe will be cast into. And we don't like to talk about that. I admit to you that, man, that is a sobriety that's just, that's a, what we say, a hard pill to swallow. And the closer we are to people, the harder the pill. And so maybe we keep our distance from the world so that we don't have to look at that reality. But let's, there's two realities. The reality of those who don't believe will perish, but the reality is also that those who do believe will have eternal life. See, this is the way Revelation 20 ends, but the next verse is Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. What happened? It got burned up completely, just gone burned up. There's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he's gonna dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. Is that real? Yes, as real as there is a hell and a lake of fire where those who do not believe 
will spend eternity. There is equally a real heaven, a real place where God himself will dwell forever with his people. And he will really wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things, everything that we kind of know about life in this life, done. I mean, folks who capture, this is not mythology. This is not storybook stuff. We're not dealing with Disney here. Real people in real places in real eternity. Don't protect yourself and make it conceptual. Don't protect yourself and refuse to look. So why do we care? If you just go through the verse, it's really clear. We care because God who abides in us loves the world. We care because God sent his son, Jesus, to redeem the world. Anything less would be too small. We care. Why else? Because the invitation of the gospel is to whoever. And we care because hell and heaven are not concepts. They are realities. So bottom line is this. I'm a a bottom line guy, actually. The bottom line is that we at the chapel care because we have two commitments. We have a commitment to the authority of the scripture. In other words, that the the scripture speaks truthfully on every topic and issue that it speaks to. The Bible always tells the truth and not only tells the truth, the Bible holds authority in my life. I do not belong to me. I've been bought with a price. The spirit of God dwells in me. I'm his. And therefore, his word has authority over my life. Because of my commitment and our commitment to the authority of scriptures, and second, then the headship of Jesus over CFC. Don't, don't throw this away. Here's a connection that has fresh force in my own life right now, that Jesus is the redeemer to save the world, but the redeemer of the world is also the head of Christian Family Chapel. So if the redeemer is the head, what do you think the head wants the body to do? to be his ambassadors, to be his proclaimers, to love what he loves. You see it? See the headship of Jesus and the authority of the scriptures brings us to the point where we go, we're compelled to care about the world. Tell you a quick story. This is CFC history. Some 30 years ago, Tim Lusk, who used to be pastor here, was associate pastor, and I was youth pastor. And he was 
wanting to go to Dallas Theological Seminary for a missions conference. And the speaker at that missions conference was the then president of Columbia Bible College, Columbia International University now, that I had gone to school with. And I knew Robertson McQuilkin, and I said to Tim, here's what you should know. Any minutes you get with him would be phenomenally profitable to you, but be careful. Because if you say anything inconsistent in any way, he will spot it. So Tim very wisely went to the conference and then said, hey, if no one's volunteered to take Robertson to the airport after the conference, I'll do it for free. And they're like, sweet. We don't have to pay something. You'll take him? He said, yeah. So conference ends. Tim's introduced himself, says, I'm taking you to the airport. They get in the car. They're driving. Robertson says, Tim, tell me about your church. This is CFC 30 years ago. Oh, Christian Family Chapel, non-denominational Bible church committed to the expository, verse-by-verse teaching of the scriptures. And he's going, that's awesome. That's great. Tell me about your missions program. And Tim goes, well, we don't really have much of a missions program. And I had warned Tim. (laughs) Robertson says, hmm, a Bible teaching church without a missions program. I wonder what Bible you guys are teaching. That's the bottom line, folks. It was a defining moment in the life of our church. And it needs to be a defining moment in each of our lives. It is wholly inconsistent to say, I believe the scriptures, and I don't love the world. I don't care about the world. It doesn't add up. What Bible are we reading? What Bible are we teaching? So, Christian Family Chapel, 2018, I want you to know, we believe in the authority of the scriptures. We believe in the headship of Jesus, and we're compelled to care about the world. We're compelled to compare about... to to care about this community, but not stop here. To care about the name of Jesus among the nations because anything else would be too small. So what do you do with that? Well, let me give you two very practical expressions to how you might care and express it. Not just verbally, because anybody can say they care. But anybody who knows, it's when something's done that, oh, okay, they really care. So how do I express care beyond verbally? First, and for maybe a different reason than you think, I want to encourage you to take a trip yourself. How many of you, just by way of show of hands, how many of you have been on a short-term mission trip? Okay, we're probably less than Thursday night and first hour. We're probably about 20% in here. Can I just throw a what if to you? What if in the next three to five years, when we ask that question, 90% of the hands would go up and go, uh, I've gone. For this reason, the God who abides in me loves the world. And I want to go see it, taste it, hear it, smell it, and touch it. Because it's stats until you meet a kid. And it's just numbers until you smell the culture. And it's just a concept until you 
hear them and their voice. Everybody in the room who's been knows exactly what I'm talking about. Listen to this from our Albania trip this summer. My name is Brian Ross and I went on the Albanian mission trip with Tomorrow We taught English in two camps in completely different parts of the country. I would just share two things I learned. The first helped me grow in my Christ-likeness by understanding that a big part of sharing the gospel is putting our love for Christ on display. We spent most of our time in Colonia as we walked back and forth from the village soccer field. And the people in the village noticed us and wondered who we were and why we were there. Even though most of them did not speak English, this was our opportunity to show the people of Colonia how we were different and the reason why we were there was because of Christ. As the week progressed, the kids who were originally not attending the camp and were off to the side kind of chuckling became the very ones that were helping Pastor Landy on the field. Our love of Christ was on display, which gave the church we were working with a presence in the community. My name is Susan Ross, and I went on a short-term mission trip to Albania with Tomorrow Clubs. God used this short-term mission trip to teach me that He can use anyone, anytime, and in any way that He chooses. My gifting is in administration, and yet I felt the Lord calling me to go on this trip to teach children English. I was really nervous leading up to leaving, wondering how I was going to work with children when my experience is very limited and I completely lacked confidence. What I discovered is that was the exact place that God wanted me, utterly and completely helpless in my own abilities and with no choice but to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Each day in camp, I was able to connect with the kids in a way that I wouldn't have thought was possible. Showing up in camp each day and seeing their eager and smiling faces made me forget my inadequacies and reminded me that the real reason I was there was to share the good news of the gospel and to love them as Christ loves me. The kids had no idea what area my gifting was in and they really didn't care. It breaks my heart to think that I almost missed out on this life-changing opportunity because I didn't want to step out of my comfort zone and do something that I was not experienced in. Mostly, I would like to thank God for teaching me that what really matters to Him is someone who can't do something in their own strength and has to surrender and humble themselves before Him. The second thing I learned is that there truly is a big need for more men to go on these short-term mission trips. I know that to be true specifically with tomorrow clubs. While it seems to be daunting to teach English, it isn't daunting with God's help and a spirit to have fun and to learn. You would do wonderfully, and by the end of the week, you might be hearing your name called out as I did from the boys of the camp. Brian, Brian, these are young boys and teens with little male influence because dads have to be away from them in other cities and countries to earn a living. You can be Christ's male influencer in these young men's lives. So men, I challenge you to be seriously in prayer about going on one of these short-term mission trips. In fact, if CSC was to have another mission trip to Albania with Tomorrow Clubs next year, I challenge you to go with me. So don't miss why take a trip? As much for what God would do in you 
as this is what he would do through you. We think, oh, it's what he'll do through us. And I'm not minimizing the impact of that. But what will carry through year after year in your life if you'll taste it and see it and touch it and experience it yourself will, will change you. And so really, what if everybody this year said, I've got to go this year. If you'll go next year, I'll help you go because I want you to experience what I got to experience. We're in a little bit of a, no pun intended here, but we're in a little bit of a rut. And that is the same people tend to go every year. And I'd love to see the experience broaden because a trip will change you. In 1991, I was a youth pastor here, and I led our first youth missions trip overseas. Ten of us went to Costa Rica for three weeks, not to surf, but to go inland to work with Central American Mission. And the moment that changed my life that week, those, those three weeks, was a Sunday afternoon because Sunday gathered in this little church in the middle of nowhere in Costa Rica People had literally walked or ridden a horse for hours to come to church. So compelled by that versus our culture. Oh, it's raining. You know, the stuff that keeps us. And I sat in the hillside that afternoon just hashing it out with the Lord. Lord, why am I going to spend my life working with teenagers who have heard it and heard it and heard it and heard it and heard it when I could give my life to people who haven't? And in an all but audible voice, the Lord said, in order that you would send more. That at least at that point in my life, the Lord was saying, Doug, yeah, you could come or you could go back and you could wave the flag of the nations at Christian Family Chapel and see more, not just short-term, but more long-term. God will do something in your heart, something life-changing in your heart if you'd take a trip. But that's, that's next year. What about now? I want to encourage you to think about becoming a partner. In other words, selecting a commended missionary to help send. We have a, a notebook. It's online, but the problem with online is not everything that's in this notebook is online for security reasons for some of our missionaries. So if you want to know who all of our missionaries are, out in Impact Gazebo, you can get one of these commended missionary guys that tells their story their call to ministry, what they're doing, and how you might support them. 24 different opportunities. The question, once you finish reading this, will be, which one, Lord? And that can be hard. So I want to encourage you to, at that impact gazebo, grab two little pamphlets uh, that I wrote some time back called, First, Whom Shall I Send? A very practical guide for you to go how do I determine who I will partner with? Because I'm really not suggesting you partner with all 24. But there'd be a process for you to determine 
who you would partner with. And then a second resource that I've written, Seven Habits of a Highly Effective Sender. Simply for you to be able to go, once I pick somebody, how do I become the best sender to them? Because when you pick somebody, you want them to be the best goer, don't you? You start investing resources in them, you want them to be fruitful. How can you be a fruitful sender? So for some of you, you're hard at it, and I hope you're encouraged this morning. Some of you have some new steps to take this morning. And it's going to start with saying, Lord, I confess my life's been inconsistent. I say I love your word, but I haven't cared about the world. And so you start saying, Lord, I'm available to go, and I'll choose a partner. That's your first step. Choose a partner. Grab the resource. Use these resources to help you. Don't stay unengaged. It's not who we are. It's not who our God who abides in us is. He loves the world. He first loved us so that we would love others. So, Father, I pray that that would increasingly mark who we are individually and who we are as a church, that we would love as you have loved us, and that anything less than people from every tongue and tribe and people and nation would capture our hearts as too small. Use us, we ask, to the praise of your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. Out in the courtyard, grab these resources. And guess what else is out there? Chocolate chip cookies. Enjoy.